listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Dominican Dimensions, a half-hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective, featuring the friars from St. Patrick Church in Columbus. And now, Dominican Dimensions. Welcome to the Dominican Dimensions, a half-hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. Today I'm joined in the studio by my confrere, Father Paul Keller. Let's begin with a prayer to Our Lady. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Today we're going to speak about the Eucharist, especially about Father Keller's book, A Year with the Eucharist. So, Father Keller, um, what was it like putting together a book about the Eucharist for you? Well, it was really exciting, I have to say, Father Stephen, at... um uh, my primary work is in sacramental theology, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, I, when I was approached by the publisher to put together this book, A Year with the Eucharist, I was very excited. Uh, the plan for the book was to um, have meditations for each day of the year, mm-hmm. but not particularly focused on any particular day per se. What I mean by that is that um, someone picking up the book could start with day one on today, okay. uh, in the middle of the end, of the middle of the summer, for mm-hmm. instance, um, or they could start on January first and keep up. But a lot of times, when we start things like this, uh, we don't. We find it rather, rather difficult to, or some people maybe uh, certainly I do find it difficult to stay true um, mm-hmm. every. Um, uh, to the to the to the plan. So if you miss a day, you don't have to worry because right. suppose you miss a day on um, you know January third or something, and mm-hmm. they said now do you have to start over or July first? Do you have to start over? No, you don't have to start over. You just pick up where mm-hmm. you left off. So that's one of the small beauties of the book. Um, so and I arranged it uh, according to. Uh, not seasonally, but um, more according to uh, what I thought would be healthy meditations for people. Now, this was before there was any thought of our present uh, uh, Eucharistic revival Mm. that's going on in our Mm -hmm. country, um, Mm -hmm. led by the bishops of our country. This was long before that, so the book, I think, would be very useful for people, in terms of the in terms of the um, Eucharistic revival, so um, I've called on saints. Um, I've called on um, teachings from the Church mm-hmm. on the Eucharist. I have um, even used some not uh, non-canonized people, but nevertheless mm-hmm. pretty holy people. Uh, so, for instance, um, uh, O'Connor. Um, uh, Flannery, Flannery O'Connor. O'Connor. Yep. Yes, I drew a blank sure. for a second there. Uh, Flannery O'Connor uh, and other other instances of hmm. um, people talking about the Eucharist, Scripture as mm-hmm. well, certainly. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
So maybe this might be good, you know, for just to read it as part of your prayer, like do like a meditation or Lexio Divina. A lot of people that I know are using it in exactly that way, Father. Mm-hmm. It's uh, uh, they they use it as part of their daily meditation, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Lexio Divina, as you said, or divine reading, so that they can um, look at a, a, a passage from a saint. So what I have done in the book is to begin with a little um, explanation, like five, six lines, sometimes shorter, um, that as a kind of introduction to the reading. And then there's um, a reading that is less than a full page, mm-hmm. um, but a good, a good chunk of um, something from um, one of the passages that I've just talked about. And then I end it with um, a little meditation, like in God's presence, consider this. Mm. Da, da, mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a one line or sometimes a question. Um, and then a very short prayer uh, mm-hmm. to sum it all up. So I think it would be really good for to help mm-hmm. somebody in their prayer time. Right. I know this is published by Tan Books. You can find it on Amazon.com. Um, so, yeah, this would be a great, great book to have. What, what's one of your favorite quotes that oh, you had in the book? Uh, that's, that's a good question. Um, uh, the... Um, I think probably my favorite is an unusual one. It's by um, Saint, now Saint Louis Martin, or Martin in the French, who is the husband of Zélie Martin, who mm-hmm. is also a saint. They were canonized together. Their daughter, um, for anyone who may not recognize these names, is the very famous Saint Thérèse of Lisieux. Uh, so Louis Mart- there's a story about um, Saint Louis um, uh, when the Eucharist was going by, I think it was in a procession, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think a, a priest was taking the Eucharist to someone sick. In those days, um, and until recently, whenever the Eucharist was carried anywhere, a bell was to be rung hmm. so that people would know um, that the Eucharist was passing by, so that if a priest was on his way walking to someone's house uh, on a sick call in order to bring the Holy Sacrament to the sick person, uh, passers-by would know to stop. Hmm. Well, I think this was a procession, and the Eucharist was passing by, and some man who is probably not Catholic was just standing there with his hat on. Again, these are the days when men always mm-hmm. wore hats. Right. Uh, and uh, so <laughs> apparently Lewis actually knocked the hat off the guy <laughs> in order to uh, show it, tell, and, and in order to kind of make sure that he was showing respect to the sacrament. So that's kind of funny. I like these kind these episodes from the, from the lives of the saints. Uh, I have many favorites, uh, as I just mentioned about Flannery O'Connor. Uh, she was at a party uh, once uh, with a famous uh, actress and uh, uh, who, I think Flannery, who had gained some fame at that by that point, mm-hmm. was being trotted out as a kind of artiste in residence. Um, and uh, so the uh, she was asked about the Eucharist, and um, her friend, her so-called friend, said, "Well, isn't it just a symbol?" And Flannery responded, "Well, if it's a symbol, then to hell with it." <laughs> that's all it is, right? So, and she's mm. right. Uh, this is—I um, mean, if why why would we go to the wall 
if this mm-hmm. is just a symbol, but uh, mm-hmm. many saints have died for the Eucharist. But more than that, uh, the, our Lord told, tells us in the gospel to eat his body, drink his blood. Mm-hmm. He wants us to have communion mm-hmm. with him. That's what's so wonderful about this, this, these three years, really, of the Eucharistic revival. We're in the central year of it right now, year two. The diocesan uh, and parish phases are, are upon us. So um, it's, it's so important because this is really the center of our life. Mm-hmm. The Eucharist is not just a sacrament we receive when we go to Mass every Sunday um, mm-hmm. because we think we have to, but rather it is the, the sacrament by which we are made one with God and God mm-hmm. is made one with us. Now, why is that important? Someone might say, well, because we're made for that. There's nothing more important than union with God, union mm-hmm. with the Blessed Trinity. Right. Absolutely nothing. Uh, we have a lot of things that occupy our time and our, our agendas, um, but uh, nothing is more important than the Holy Eucharist, and therefore to make time to, um, to adore Christ present in the Eucharist and, uh, and to make sure that we're always in a prepared state to receive the Eucharist at Mass. So um, it's not a symbol, if it, uh, and, as, um, and as Flannery O'Connor said, if it were just a symbol, then it would not have very much importance. It would be like having a sign telling us mm-hmm. um, that we could we might stop here at this corner mm-hmm. in order to avoid an accident, but you don't really have to. Just roll through it if you want. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a, it doesn't do anything for us, whereas the Eucharist actually does transform us, and that was mm-hmm. Flannery's point about um, not reducing it to a symbol, but that's always been the case in the Church. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And so, you know, during this time of Eucharistic revival, it's it's great to try to um, think more deeply about about the sacrament that unites us to God. Um, yeah, one way is to is to have a book like the book that you wrote. You know, with with daily meditations. Um, what are some other ways in which people, or listeners, might be able to kind of um, revisit or or deepen their their love or their devotion uh, to the Eucharist? Sure. There's all kinds of reading that people can do. Uh, many books are published in these recent, um, the last 10, 20, 30 years on the Eucharist and how to grow closer to Christ in the Eucharist. Uh, so uh, I think uh, doing a search for, for books on the Eucharist would really be good. Mm-hmm. But um, I, wanna, I wanna mention one in particular by uh, Father O'Connor um, that has to do with the history of the Eucharist, uh, and it traces um, the teaching of the real presence throughout the centuries, mm. beginning with the scriptures. Mm-hmm. It's called hidden, hidden manna, hmm. hidden manna, okay. uh, and it, uh, it it traces the beautiful history of the Eucharist through the centuries. You're listening to the Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. Today I'm joined in the studio by Father Paul Keller. We've been discussing how to draw closer to Christ in the Eucharist um, and just ways in which we can deepen our devotion. One way, of course, is is Father Keller's book, A Year with the Eucharist, which you can find on Amazon.com. It's published by Tan 
uh, publishers. Um, you just mentioned another book, The Hidden Mana, which traces the history of the understanding of the real presence. Would that be something that's, like, is that something for your average Catholic could understand, or is it more, is it more like a little bit more advanced? It's a little more advanced. It's published by Ignatius Press, and mm -hmm. Ignatius um, publishes books that are for anyone, really, mm -hmm. uh, but the beginner might stumble a little bit. If someone who's okay. an absolute beginner to the faith might stumble along on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, you know, even a beginner could find... Um, could find all kinds of uh, uh, would find a wealth of information in Father O'Connor's book, The Hidden Manna, uh, because uh, he speaks in a rather forward way. Mm -hmm. He doesn't mm -hmm. um, he doesn't use arcane language. That said, there are a lot of terms that were used to describe the real presence uh, in ancient times. And uh, the modern person, uh, even sometimes the learned person, might find some of those um, Greek terms and Latin terms a little bit off-putting. Nevertheless, I always encourage people, I think um, sometimes we underestimate the intellectual abilities of, of people um, to, to grasp uh, things, that, uh, some of the deeper mysteries, or at least grasp writings about the deeper mysteries. Mm -hmm. So, for example, take the word transubstantiation, which is really at the heart of that book, mm -hmm. uh, The Hidden Manna, and at the heart of the teaching of, of, of the Church uh, uh, about the Eucharist, based on the sixth chapter of St. John's Gospel that Jesus says, this is my body, mm -hmm. this is my blood. So the word transubstantiation is... Uh, describes an event that only happens one place in the entire universe, and mm. it, ha it is never used properly to describe any other event than the change of bread and wine into the body and blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. The, uh, w we believe uh, not only because of the sixth chapter of John's uh, sixth chapter of um, Saint John's Gospel that the that the Eucharist is the body and blood of Jesus, but we also believe that because in the Synoptic Gospels Matthew, Mark, and Luke, mm -hmm. Jesus says at the Last Supper, "This is my body, this mm -hmm. is my blood." Mm -hmm. um, he wasn't speaking symbolically, and he wanted the disciples to understand that and to participate in eating his body and drinking his blood as they would have learned mm. uh, early on in their following of him and then in their ministry. So uh, transubstantiation is, is central. Was that word always used? No. And that's one of the beautiful things that Father O'Connor points out in his book, uh, that we have tr we've struggled through the centuries to find a word that describes mm. this unique change. Mm -hmm. It's unlike any other change. It's not the change of water into ice or to vapor. It's not the changing of the color of the leaves at, in the fall. It's not the changing that we all experience in our bodies as we get older mm -hmm. um, and sometimes lose the hair on our heads. Mm. Uh, but it's, it's a unique change of one entire substance into another substance without leaving anything behind of the prior substance mm -hmm. so that what remains is wholly a new substance, although 
its present, we only know its presence, under the forms that it appears, the, 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 the covering or the, um, the appearances, the, uh, the, the, the species, as we sometimes refer to them, um, the accidents, to use a more philosophical term, um, that, that surround or, or cover the substance or make the substance known to us. So transubstantiation is a word that many Catholics, um, certainly prior to the Council, knew. Uh, Catholics who really uh, were living the faith. And we, that's what we want. We want people to really be living the faith again. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to start using some of these big terms. Mm -hmm. Speaking of big terms, there's another one that we use, for instance, in the Creed. And the bishops really wondered about how to translate this properly in the most recent English translation and that is how to describe the union of the Son with the Father in the Creed mm. at Mass. And we use right. the term consubstantial, right, that they, right. they have the same substance, mm -hmm. that is the divine substance with each other. Well, before that, the English translation was a little bit dumbed down, and it said, um, of the same substance, or something like that. Or one in being with the Father. One in being with the Father, which, like, well, okay, what does that even mean mm -hmm. as well, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, well, mm -hmm. consubstantial also describes that. And I, it is, it's my hope anyways that people are curious enough to, um, to ask questions like mm -hmm. what, what's that word and why do we use it? Mm -hmm. uh, it would be a good thing for people who are listening to our, our uh, broadcast today to even ask their pastors to explain it in a homily, for instance. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big proponent of not dumbing the language down. I think right. the more we speak in an adult way, for instance, to our children, mm -hmm. the more that we help them to mature quickly uh, rather mm -hmm. than um, kind, kind of use, always using baby language or, or dumbed down language that doesn't really call people to a greater intellectual awareness. So transubstantiation mm -hmm. is the big word. And mm -hmm. um, and I and I really want people to to understand it, and we can we could always have a, a course on that um, and mm -hmm. talk about it further. But it's important. So just to make clear again, transubstantiation as and if we look in the catechism, we'll find it. I don't remember the exact number in the catechism now where we that speaks about transubstantiation, but it's the it's the it's the change of the bread and wine that are presented to the priest at mass into the entire body and blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. And this is therefore a prolongation of, or a making new, it's not a re-sacrificing, but a making new of the one sacrifice mm. of Christ. It, do, it um, allows us to participate in the current day that we're finding ourselves in, in the one sacrifice of Christ. And imagine that, that's amazing, mm. because... The one thing that we have to do um, to worship God is to offer sacrifice. And why do mm -hmm. we have to offer sacrifice? Because sacrifice is the externalization of what we do interiorly. You know, a man could be thinking um, that he loves his wife, mm -hmm. but if he doesn't ex externalize that with words or kind gestures or bringing, you know, bringing flowers home um, from work or 
um, the cooking dinner for her and, and and so forth. If he doesn't externalize it, how would she know? Hmm, Was right. it he, he? I suppose he could say to her, "Well, I told you on our wedding day that I loved you. Why do I have to keep telling you every day?" <laughs> right? Okay. Um, right. But not only do you have to tell each other, husbands and wives, that you love each other every day. You have to do it multiple times of the day. Uh, it would be a very good thing to deepen your your marital bond. It's the same way uh, with God that uh, we can't just kind of think that we worship mm-hmm. God. And of course, God can read our thoughts, unlike a spouse, uh, a married spouse. He definitely can read our thoughts, but that's not enough because we're humans. We have bodies. If we were just minds, um, like the angels, right. intellects, uh, pure intellects like the angels, that's all we would be able to do. But we're not. We're human beings. We have this great, wonderful opportunity to engage not only our souls but our bodies in mm-hmm. the worship of God. Mm-hmm. Animals can't do that. That's all. They have bodies, but they don't have rational souls. Mm-hmm. And so um, they can't do anything with a rational soul that would be pleasing to God. Human beings are that wonderful middle ground between animals and angels that have both bodies and souls and that we can use both body and soul, and must really use both body and soul to show, to demonstrate to God and to others um, what it is that, um, that we are holding in our souls. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, we do that for God because it's fitting as human beings. It's not, it's, uh, some of the, a number of people would say it's actually required that sacrifice is, is uh, part of the natural law or that which makes... Mm-hmm. Um, us rational, that which deals with what it means to be a human, per, a, a rational being uh, with a human body, and that sacrifice is necessary. Why? Because it leads to the life of virtue. It's actually part of, we could talk about this um, mm-hmm. um, in a little while perhaps, but um, worship is, uh, is part of the virtue of religion, or sacrifice is part of the virtue of religion, and the virtue of religion is a part of justice, and justice is one of the four cardinal virtues. We owe God worship, and therefore we owe him um, sacrifice. Christ has given us the means to do that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. through the extension of um, himself through the Holy Priesthood and through the Eucharist. The priest that Christ has ordained uh, carries on the work of making present Christ's body and blood and renewing the sacrifice that took place on Golgotha mm-hmm. uh, some two th- almost 2,000 years ago uh, so that we would have a fitting sacrifice to give to, to, give to God. Right, and that's why, we, that's why going to the Eucharist, coming to Mass, is so important. I know, you know sometimes people... I mean, there's, there's reasons why people might not be able to come to Mass if they're right. homebound, if they're elderly, right. or physically just have no way of getting there safely or a snowstorm or a snowstorm right. yeah but but just watching mass on tv is not is not enough if no. if you're able to actually you know as you were saying you know, like we're as bodily beings we're re- required to externalize that love of our heart by offering worship to god you know and that's done christ christ did that in person yeah and so and you can't we. just do it from your couch in your living right. room right? right um that's a really good point you're making father stephen that uh, people um, say, well, what, 
um, why can't I just worship God at home? Why do I have to go to church to do it? it it's not, it, to put it that way, is missing the point. It, it, again, it would be like saying to your wife, who says, do you love me? I told you on our wedding day I loved you. Why do I have to keep telling you? I mean, that's really the, it's very similar uh, right. in the sense right. of, yes, we, your couch and your living room are not a place of, of holiness, right? Uh, maybe they were constructed on some holy ground. I don't know. Maybe you know there was something there mm-hmm. a thousand years ago. But that's not the reason to stay at home. The reason to come to church on Sunday is twofold. One, because you want to participate in the one sacrifice that Christ offers the Father, and, and you cannot do that at home. Mm-hmm. You have to be present with the priest to be able to do that. And secondly, um, to be with the community, and I don't, I don't want to sound just kind of like wishy-washy when I say that. I, I, by that, I mean um, to be with the church, the body of Christ, worshiping the mm-hmm. Father. So um, it's very important. It's very important on those two levels, at least, to yeah. to be at Mass. And then, of course, to receive the Eucharist. You know, if you're able to receive the right. Eucharist, to receive Christ. I mean, you can make a spiritual communion at home, but. But, you know, we're bodily beings, we're made for Christ, you know, and this is the way that, as you said, we right. we come into union with God. God's life flows into us, you know. He wants us to receive communion. That doesn't mean that if we don't receive communion, we've not worshipped him at Mass. So mm-hmm. going to Mass um, and receiving communion, though they're related, are in a certain sense two different things, um, because I don't want people to have the impression that if they are unable to go to Holy Communion at Mass, either because they um, have just recently eaten something and therefore are unable to, um, they've not met the obligations to fast before um, receiving Holy Communion, uh, or or some other thing. Perhaps they're in the state of sin, they haven't had a chance to go to confession, and they ought not to be going to Holy Communion. So for those reasons... Uh, but it still is essential to go to Mass mm. to worship God. Um, right. And, uh, and if, if, ab- if one is able, and one we hope that everyone is able, to be able to receive Holy Communion at Mass um, so mm. that they can experience a deeper union with Christ. Okay, well, we've had a great discussion today about how we can gr- draw closer to Christ in the Eucharist, um, why it's important to physically be present, to externalize the love of our hearts by participating in the one sacrifice of Christ, and also how we can um, reflect, especially in our prayer and our reading, on on Christ's presence among us in this great sacrament. And we've been talking especially about Father Paul Keller's book, A Year with the Eucharist, which is published by Tan Publishers. You can find it on Amazon.com. Thank you for joining us today for the Dominican Dimensions. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. Today, I've been joined in the studio by Father Paul Keller. Let's end with prayer, invoking the intercession of our holy founder, St. Dominic. <clears throat> o light of the Church, teacher of truth, rose of patience, ivory of chastity, freely you have poured forth the waters of wisdom, preacher of grace, unite us with the blessed. Amen. Amen. Dominican Dimensions is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Dominican Dimensions and all of our locally produced programs are available at stgabrielradio.com.
Then